Good morning and welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, Virginia. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we are here to rejoice and be glad in it. My name is Taylor Christian Mertens. I serve as the pastor here at Cokesbury, and as I've said a couple times recently, I hope this is one of the only times in my life that I ever have to be grateful for an empty church on a Sunday morning. I'm grateful that uh, those of you who are online are joining us online for worship, whether you're streaming this on Facebook or watching it on YouTube later, or perhaps you're listening to it on SoundCloud uh, a year from now. Who knows? Uh, this is a strange time we find ourselves in here in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. I hope and pray that all of you are finding yourselves safe and healthy, that you have everything you need, that you are washing your hands regularly, that you have face masks whenever you go out in public. Uh, should you be in need of anything, please don't hesitate to contact me or contact Cokesbury. We will endeavor to do whatever we can to help you in the midst of this bewildering time that we find ourselves in. I wanted to share a story before we kick off with worship today, and it's a story, of course, that will relate to what we're doing. This is a story about a friend of mine named Jim Reed. Jim was a member at my last church, and Jim was uh, someone who had a remarkably large garden at his house. When I arrived at that church, I got there right in the midst of the summer, and I noticed pretty quickly that every Sunday, Jim would come to church, and around both of his arms would be shopping bags full of produce. Cucumbers, zucchini, squash, green beans, tomatoes, whatever you could name, he had it, and he'd have like eight to ten bags on his arms. And he would get to the church, and he'd hang out in the narthex, and as people came in, indiscriminately, he would just take a bag off his arms, and he would place it in their hands. And I didn't really think too much of it. I just thought he was being kind and friendly. And I remember one day, uh, pretty on in my time there, another gentleman from the church went up to Jim and said, Jim, why are you giving away all of your produce? And Jim said, it's not mine. It belongs to God. I thought, that's really, really good. I really, really love that. And we were fortunate later to be able to be invited to Jim's house and have dinner with he and his wife. And he took me out into his garden and I asked him how long he had worked on it and all this stuff. And he said, you know, we had this nice bit of property and I thought this is a gift that God has given to us. And so, yeah, we, we keep some of it for ourselves. We can some of it and we eat a lot of it, but most of it we give away uh, because it's a gift God has given and we want to be able to give it to other people. That to me is just such a beautiful thing. I wish that uh, there was someone here on Sunday mornings standing to hand me a bag of produce every day I came in. Uh, but of course, that's not the case, especially right now because of the pandemic. However, that sort of sentiment, that sort of desire, that drive, that faithfulness to take of oneself to share with others, that's really not just at the heart of the scripture we're going to hear today, but the, the whole gospel message for it is Jesus himself who gives of himself for us. Out of his abundant life, we have now received life abundant. It's a rather remarkable thing. I hope all of you out there, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, you have a Jim Reed in your life who bestows upon you fresh produce that tastes truly like a gift from the Lord. Uh, a few other announcements. We will continue to have online worship only uh, as long as there is a stay-at-home order here in the state of Virginia, which as of today is at least until June 10th. On Wednesdays, a few clergy colleagues and I from across the country have been live streaming a Bible study. It happens at 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on Wednesdays. If, you would all, if any of you would like to participate in that, view it, listen to it, you can find out the information for it uh, on our church Facebook page. This Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 
Uh, my podcast fr friends, my podcast crew and I will be interviewing Brian Zond. Brian is a pastor of a church out in Missouri, a pretty well-known pastor, and he will be joining us for what we're calling a live uh, pubcast, where you, from the comfort of your home, can open up a bottle of something you enjoy and sit back and listen to a bunch of preachers talk about the gospel. So that will be happening at 7.30 uh, p.m. Uh, this Thursday. Uh, please, again, you can find out more about it through the Cokesbury Facebook page or my own personal Facebook page. We're going to continue to try to offer as much as we can in terms of theological content in these days that we cannot gather together in person. Uh, but I pray uh, for that time that we can gather back together. Uh, we're going to continue on with worship. If you would like to follow along with a bulletin, if that's something that's helpful for you, you can find it. Uh, the bulletin's on our church website. You can find it linked in the description of this video. All you have to do is click on it and it will open up our prayers, scripture, hymn, all that sort of good stuff. So uh, I invite you to find a comfortable posture, maybe close your eyes for a moment and uh, just breathe slowly and steadily as we prepare to hear what it is that God has to say to us today. Lord, you give us the joy of celebrating Easter again and again and again throughout this season. So today, give us also the joys of life in your service. Bring us at last to the full joy of life eternal through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful, wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. As you're able, would you all please join me in a posture of prayer as we pray to the Lord together. Lord, you are unified within the community of the Trinity. Grant us the grace and peace so to dwell with others in the spirit of your bond, such that no matter where we are, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, we might know there is a place for us at the table always. Today we are mindful, O Lord, of the many for whom that table feels desperately far away. We think about our own yearning and desire to gather back in person with each other, to be able to come to the table with outstretched hands and to receive your son's body and his blood. We are mindful, O Lord, and we pray for those who are working in hospitals and medical arenas, those who are trying to find a vaccine, those who are working on the front lines, those who are making our lives comfortable in the midst of such an uncomfortable time. We pray for those who are sick, who are unsure whether they will make it through this strange time. We pray for those who are not taking it seriously enough, O oh Lord, those who believe that life can just go back to normal, for it isn't normal and it will never be normal again. Not just because we're in a pandemic, but because you have changed everything forever. 
Lord, give us your peace and your grace and your mercy, even on a day like this, to know that you are God for us and with us. And that has made all the difference. And now, Lord, each of us will pray silently to you from our places of worship, lifting up to you our own joys and our concerns to you this day. And as you taught us, Lord, so now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from the second chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, verses 42 through 47. I will be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and their goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I've said, I think for the last eight weeks that we've been in this time of the pandemic that um, I'm a Methodist, which means I don't know how to worship without singing. And more than a few of you have sent me messages and making fun of me for saying such a thing. And also for uh, saying that I'm a preacher and not a singer, but I'm going to keep saying it because it's true. And I also want to sing. So we're going to sing a hymn. I, at least I'm going to sing one. If you'd like to sing along at home, you're more than welcome to do so. The lyrics to this are available on the online bulletin. If you want to pull that up, you might know this one. This is from our own hymnal. Uh, it's number 368, My Hope is Built. <clears throat> My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Darkness veils his lovely face. I rest on his unchanging grace. 
Every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath is covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Amen. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together. They had all things in common. They would even sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples like flames of fire. They were given the gift to speak in many languages. They tumbled out into the streets. They started spitting off the good news. Crowds of people that day assumed they were drunk, even very early in the morning. But Peter, ever eager Peter, he stood, he preached to the people, and he told them exactly what God was up to. And that day, the Lord added 3,000 to their number. I mean, that right there... That should be the end of the story. We should be able to move on to whatever the next relevant narrative is. After all, it is the Acts of the Apostles. So it would be nice to find out what happens you know, next. Maybe jump into the early details of Saul, soon to be Paul, or maybe you know, give us an update on the women who went to the tomb and what they were up to now. Maybe we could catch a glimpse of the powers and the principalities now plotting against this budding group of disciples that just won't shut up about Jesus. But that's not what Luke does in Acts. Luke keeps telling the same story. And continues. And it continues by him showing us rather immediately how the Holy Spirit is embodied by those who are now part of a thing called the way. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. They gather together in fellowship. They break bread and feast with one another. And finally, they share their prayers. But it's even more than that. I mean, we, those of us who claim to follow Jesus, we can point to any one of these things, these descriptions, as being part of our faith lives even today. 
on a weekly basis, many of us commit ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We gather, even on the internet, to share in fellowship. We listen to the revealed word. We offer signs of peace to each other when we can be together with things like the breaking of the bread. And at the very least, we pray. But wait, there's more. And the more is something that we confess we like to overlook at times. Because this verse, the one I'm about to read to you, has confounded and complicated matters for the church ever since. All who believe were together. They had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and their goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Wow, God, okay. I mean, it's good and fine if you want us to put some money in the offering plate or donate online every once in a while. We're even on board you know, with serving meals to the homeless as long as it eases our guilty consciences, but selling off our possessions, giving away the money we receive so that other people can have it, that, that doesn't sound fair, God. That sounds awful. And Luke chooses this moment, having learned that the good news is spreading like wildfire, to show us what the early gathering of faith looks like. And it looks like a bunch of lazy pinko commies who want everything else done for them. Or at least that's how some of us have imagined it. But the commonality of goods, it is a concrete testimony of how empowering the Holy Spirit really is. It forces us, even all these centuries later reading it, to confront with wonder that something unsettling, something specific, and something substantial has happened to these bewildered and these bewildering people. Maybe maybe we should call the first Christians... Communists. That, of course, sounds ridiculous and downright rude to some of our ears. Communism, politically speaking, doesn't really come close to the bartering and the redistribution of the small things for this early group of the faithful, but it's notable, at least it should be, that we find these two things, namely communism and Christianity, to be so wildly incompatible with each other, particularly when Christianity It has far less in common with something like capitalism than it does communism. I mean, that's a scandal to those of us in the West, and in particular those of us in the good old U.S. of A. Today with our, and by our I mean American, our bizarre piety for and idolatry of free enterprise and private wealth, it's almost unimaginable that we could read this story and ever call something like this place a Christian nation or Let me put it simply. If the rich just keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poorer, then it's not the kingdom of God. Of course, certainly no one in Acts, not even Peter, was advocating for or attempting to institute some sort of new political rule over and against the powers and principalities. The disciples, they weren't holding informational meetings with agendas about how to get the right people elected to office. They weren't standing out on the street corners of Jerusalem handing out hats emblazoned with make Israel communist again. They weren't setting up their own political action committees to consolidate tremendous amounts of wealth and money. But the church, the church has been and always will be its own kind of politics. Our form of life, this thing we call the gathering body of Christ, is predicated on this story, on the sharing of goods as seen here at the beginning of Acts. And it's not just because we think it would be nice for us to do that kind of stuff for other people. It's just an embodiment of what we believe. 
God has made all things new. God has turned the world upside down forever and ever and always. It's just that most of us would like to kind of tip it back every once in a while. I mean, it really is amazing that we can read this little description of the early church and we can see how far we've moved away from it. I mean, reading this, it doesn't sound at all like what the church looks like today. But for a long time, in the early centuries of the church, the redistribution of all things, it was fairly normative. So much so that by the 4th century, a man named Ambrose of Milan refused to grant that a rich man could even make gifts to the poor. Instead, a rich man at most could only restore what already belonged to them. Say something like that in America today, and you're liable to get kicked out. Again, many would consider that kind of behavior, that kind of idealism, downright awful. But how could it ever be possible if people weren't filled with something like awe? They devoted themselves to this wildly different way of living, instilling a sense of value and worth in all people, and they broke bread together with glad and generous hearts, which in many senses means they like to have a good time with each other. And this, this little detail here makes a lot of sense, because when you take away the things that tend to divide us from each other the most, namely economics and possessions, when those things have been taken away, when those walls are torn down forever, there's no better way to respond than by having a party. And that's at the heart of what it means to be the gathering, to be the church. Go through the Gospels sometime and take note of how many times Jesus was at table with them. The them in that sentence contains a whole bunch of people who otherwise never would have eaten together. Jesus goes to a wedding, and when the host runs out of wine, he makes manifest the first miracle so the party won't stop. Jesus comes upon a tiny little tax collector hanging out in a tree, a man who made life miserable for so many people. And what does he do? He says, hey, I'm, I'm going to come over for lunch. Jesus meets the deserting and the denying disciples on the shore of the sea with some grilled fish and a nice loaf of artisanal bread. Of all the criticisms lobbed at Jesus by the governing and religious authorities, the fact that he ate with sinners is one of the things that comes up the most. They couldn't stand the company that he kept at table, receiving the outcasts, eating with the marginalized, instilling worth and value in people who felt worthless and valueless was exactly Jesus's cup of tea, and it drove people wild. It would be quite easy then to take this text and preach it at people like you who are watching and listening in such a way that you would feel guilty about not inviting more of the riffraff over to your house for dinner. It's not all that difficult to raise up a text like this, the redistribution of goods and acts, and drop it like a bombshell on the dozing church and triumphantly declare that all of you people need to get your acts together. And that's all fine. We probably should feel guilty for the company we keep. We probably should feel guilty about how we keep hoarding our own earthly possessions while people around us go hungry. Jesus failed to make distinctions between people. And for some reason, we can't get enough of those distinctions that keep people squarely in their own places. But haven't we heard all that exhortation before? You know, we need to have longer tables. We need to have more open churches. We need to have bigger feeding programs. Preacher types like me 
remind people like you on a somewhat regular basis that Jesus has given us a job to do, that we've got to rid ourselves of our addiction to the old systems of prioritized self-interest that result in the first being firster and the last being laster. But has that ever really worked? Notice, when Jesus went to the wee little man's house after their little interaction in the sycamore tree, after their mid-afternoon snack, Jesus doesn't tell him to go and repay everyone he had wronged. Zacchaeus comes up with that all on his own. Notice, the Holy Spirit doesn't fall down upon the disciples and then tell them to go out and set up feeding programs and economic redistribution. The people just start living differently automatically. Being filled with awe, really filled with awe, is a crazy thing and can make us do crazy things. And what could fill us with more awe than knowing that Christ chooses us? Let me put it this way. What if we're supposed to focus on the thing we're focusing on? Maybe, maybe it's not so much our need to have bigger visions of the kingdom, but what if we're supposed to think about how Jesus' vision of the kingdom was big enough to include us. How about this? What if instead of thinking about what we would have to do to get criticized for the people we hang out with, we thought about how Jesus would be criticized for hanging out with the likes of us? Because, I mean, let's admit it, we don't have a lot going in our favor. We do things we know we shouldn't. We avoid doing things we know we should care more about ourselves and other people, giving up our possessions so that those who have nothing can have something, sounds kind of like a raw deal. And it's in knowing this, knowing that we bristle at the ideas and images of a radical way of life, knowing our addiction to self-interest isn't something we can kick, Christ comes to us and for us anyway. It's like we've been brought before the throne of God and every single one of our mistakes, every single one of our blemishes, every single one of our sins is paraded out in front of us. And with every instance, we cower further and further away from God and closer and closer to the floor. And then at the very end, after every single wrong thing we've ever done is paraded before us, Jesus looks at us. And I mean, he really looks at us and he says, it's okay. I forgive you. That is radical. Dare I say, it's even more radical than inviting a few extra people for dinner, over for dinner every once in a while, even more radical than giving away a few possessions so that other people can have something when they have nothing. See, it's once we come close to realizing how ridiculous it is that Jesus has invited us to his table, how bewildering it is that in him all things are held together. How perplexing it is that through him the first have become last and the last have become first. That we can begin to see what it means to be filled with awe. It could change everything. It already has. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen. Would you please pray with me? 
Lord, in the mystery of dying and rising with Christ, you have upended the world. You have brought life, new life to your church. We pray then that you might breathe upon us again with your spirit and give new life to your people. Be with those who are not able to be with their families and their friends this day. Give us the strength and the wisdom to be the kind of people you've called us to be. And give us hope to rejoice knowing that death has been defeated in you. And all God's people say, Amen. We are gathered by God for worship. God proclaims God's word to us and we respond to what God has said. Uh, many of us respond to what God has said in a number of ways. Sometimes we do so by falling on our knees in prayer. Sometimes we stand up and place our hands in the sky and we sing a song. Sometimes we affirm our faith, but always we respond to what God has said and done with the giving of ourselves for other people. If you uh, can give of yourself to our church, you can do so by sending us a check through the mail. You can bring it to the church. We have a drop slot by the main office doors, or you can give online. The link for giving is uh, tagged in the description of this video. We respond to God because God has given so much to us. It's just like that story told about Jim Reed at the beginning. Jim was able to look at his own life, look at what God had given him, and was able to take that and redistribute it, give it to others as they had need. All of us are tasked with the same thing. So as you're able, I encourage you to give with glad and generous hearts, knowing that it will do more than you can possibly imagine. Another way we at Cokesbury like to respond to what God has said and done is affirming our faith using the Apostles' Creed. If you don't know it, you can find it on the online bulletin. Otherwise, I encourage you to, as you're able, affirm your faith out loud with me as we say the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified dead and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Uh, each week that we've been in this time of physical distancing and stay-at-home orders, I've been trying to think of imaginative ways that we can respond to God's grace uh, from our own homes, wherever we find ourselves these days. And I've been thinking about different things that we can do, uh, different practices we can start to enact in our life. And this week, especially because the reading from Acts shares with us the breaking of the bread, I just can't help myself but thinking about Jesus and Jesus partying with his friends. Parties are theological categories. I mean, the, the Bible itself, it ends with a giant party, the marriage supper of the Lamb and his bride. It's a celebration of the wedding of God with God's finally reconciled creation. As I said in the sermon today, Jesus himself, he spent most of his ministry at parties, large parties, small parties. 
His first recorded miracle in the gospel is taking a bunch of water and turning it into wine so that a wedding can keep going. He was regularly ridiculed by the religious and governing authorities because he ate and partied with sinners. And finally, some of the most important things that Jesus ever said, he told them through parables about parties. Throwing a party right now, it's not a very good idea. I mean, we need to be very careful about who we're around. We need to maintain our physical distance. We need to protect those with more vulnerable immune systems. But that doesn't mean that we can't party. So this week, in order to sort of reflect on and live into the reality of this church in Acts, seek out ways in your life to exhibit and embody a party spirit. That might mean putting on some music this afternoon that just puts you in the mood for dancing, or later in the week, it means cooking that special meal that usually takes way too long to cook, but now maybe you have the time to do it, or simply using that nice china you have up in the display case that's now covered with dust because you haven't used it in 15 years. I don't know what it means for you, but Jesus himself has already started the party long before we are invited to his table. You know, Jesus is like that host where when we arrive, he's already listened to the first side of his favorite record. He's already poured himself half a glass of his favorite decanted drink. He's already moving and grooving and putting out the appetizers on the table. When we live into our own party spirit, we get the opportunity, the joyful opportunity to participate in the kingdom that Jesus came to inaugurate. So this week, find a way to party. And not just find a way to party, but in the midst of it, recognize, know, and believe that not only is Jesus there with you in that party, but that Jesus has gone on ahead of you, has welcomed you into his party that knows no end. Friends, one of the greatest things in the world is that we today are a bunch of apostles. We have been sent by God to act up in this world just as the first apostles did. That means dancing and singing and laughing and finding joy in whatever ways we can. It means cooking really, really delicious meals and having really, really wonderful conversations. It means knowing that the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit in our life, has given us a reason to celebrate. So wherever you find yourselves these days, whatever it is you find yourself going through, I hope in some way, shape, and form, you're able to rejoice. Party a little bit with Jesus, for Jesus is partying with you. Now go forth, maybe from the comfort of your couch to the kitchen. I don't know where you are. Go forth with this blessing and with this benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection, help you to see, know, and believe that the party has already started and you, even you, are invited. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. See you next time, next week, same time, same place. May God be with you.